State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. In this week's episode, we have part two of my lengthy conversation with Dr. Emily Splitchell, one of the foremost authorities in barefoot science, rehabilitation, and education. Dr. Emily is a podiatrist, a human movement specialist, and a global leader in barefoot science and rehabilitation, and she has developed a keen eye for movement dysfunction and neuromuscular control during gait. Dr. Emily is the founder of the Evidence-Based Fitness Academy, or EBFA. She is the creator of the Barefoot Training Specialist, Barefoot RX, and Bear Workout Certifications, and inventor of the Nabosu Barefoot Technology. In episode number one, she did an in-depth analysis of the anatomy of the foot and ankle. So if you haven't looked at that, will give a very good foundation for today's episode. And in this one, we dive a little bit more into optimizing performance, managing pain, and becoming more aware of our environment. Let's dive right in. Welcome back, Emily, to part number two of our conversation. Um, for those who missed part number one, we talked all about the foot and the importance of the foot and the anatomy and biomechanics of the foot um, during gait, walking, dorsiflexion. So if you missed it, go back and listen to it because most of what we're going to talk about now is going to be scaffolding on top of that and kind of building from that foundation. So I want to ask a question that... Is, is something that it might be a, a complex answer because it might be a little bit different for everybody, but there, I, I'm, I'm sure there are principles for people to follow and it surrounds, if I have a client or if I'm on my feet all day on a hard surface or maybe wearing shoes, maybe, you know, I, I'm wearing high heels, not, not me specifically, but if I got a client who's wearing high heels, you know what I mean? I got a client who's wearing high heels or I'm an athlete and I'm for multiple hours wearing a tight fitted shoe or a skate, something that's not allowing my foot to do naturally what it should be doing or wants to do. What are some of the biggest things that I can do? Like give three things or so that I can do as soon as I get home or stop playing or, or whatever, after I take off the shoes to improve the health, get a bit more sensory input and get my foot closer to the position that it wants to be in. Yeah. So that recovery or de-stressing of whatever that pattern was, is really important. And something that I implement with all of my patients and in programming is yes, Cleats are not good for you, but they're part of the reality for soccer, football, things like that, or ice skates, or maybe if there's a female that has to wear certain shoes for work, I get it. There, there's a responsibility to educate on proper shoes, but then there's the reality. So mm -hmm. what could we do at the end of the day or at the end of training or sport to reverse that stress? I have them release the, mus the muscles in the bottom of the foot. This could be done with a golf ball, a cross ball, any release tool of choice. And actually I would say not roll, not roll the foot, but you want to do more like a pinpoint release to the muscles. Mm -hmm. So you're doing some sort of 
SMR trigger point release to the muscles in the feet. Call it five minutes is generally what I have people do. And then because of the constrictive nature of a lot of these shoes or athletic footwear is more of an, a narrowing position, yeah. I like to use toe spacers. Um, Correct Toes is a brand. There's many other brands that are now on the market, but they're just silicone toe spacers that go in between the digits and they open up the toes, open up the toe splay, but then also start to stretch the smaller structures in the bottom of the foot. And the third thing I would do is to be in an environment that is as opposite as that shot environment is possible, mm. which means if you're going into another pair of shoes because you are going to class or going to dinner outside of the stilettos or the soccer cleats or whatever it is, be in a more naturally supportive shoe, one that has a wider toe box that allows you to maybe to use the correct toes in the shoe, mm -hmm. uh, one that brings in a lot of sensory stimulation. But let's say you are not going out and you're at your home, then I would encourage people to be barefoot if they're comfortable so that they can bring in that sensory information and get that natural movement to the foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in an environment also where almost everything that we walk on all day is hard and flat, right? Like it's hard and flat. Like you're like, I'm looking at my house right now and I've got, yeah, I've got some carpet, but it's, it's pretty much hardwood and ceramic most places. And I know, for me, because I, I focus, like I do so much work on my feet and I wear bare, bare like I've got like 16 pairs of Vivo barefoot shoes because I just love them so much and I wear them everywhere. But when I'm here and I'm in front, like let's say I'm, I'm cooking, I'm standing on ceramic tile. Oh my goodness, do my feet ever get sore standing on ceramic? Like it's just, it's excruciating because my foot's not used to it, just staying still on a hard flat surface. Um, yeah, I remember just cause I want to tell a bit of a story. So I remember I was downtown and I was working with a, a company to redo one of their certification exams. And I had to go get a Chinese visa at the passport office because I was flying over to Shanghai to present at a conference there. And I was wearing my Vivo barefoots and it was about a 25 minute walk in downtown Toronto on concrete. And my feet were excruciatingly sore when I was done that walk, like excruciatingly sore. And I realized that I had um, not prepared my feet for walking that amount of distance in barefoot shoes because I'd always, you know, when I'm walking around here, I'm, typically I do the thing that nobody likes for you to do. You, I walk on the grass beside the sidewalk as opposed to the sidewalk itself because I need a little bit of cushioning because I'm wearing barefoot shoes, but I still want that sensory input in my foot to be able to do what it does. Uh, but there's nothing like that in Toronto. There's no way to do that. Uh, so yeah, so it, it can be tough to get into using barefoot shoes and kind of adapting your lifestyle to use them. There are some really nice looking barefoot shoes. But um, can you provide just a, a few principles, I guess, for beginning into kind of that, that barefoot space um, and, you know, not just the shoes to wear, but kind of the timing of how much we want to do it, how often, and like the progressive overload piece to that? Yeah, so I, I'm going to start by referencing what you were speaking about from your experience of wearing minimal shoes and then being on the concrete and walking or standing in one place on the tiles or the ceramic flooring at your home is just starting to bring in surface science is what mm -hmm. I call it. And that this need to understand that every surface is different. Every surface vibrates differently and either works synergistically with the natural body or it's can almost fight it. Now, the surfaces that are the best to move on, to walk on, to stand, things like that, are of course going to be those that are natural, meaning grass, dirt, trail, hardwood floors. Think how a group exercise studio or a dance studio is made of hardwood floors. So it kind of gives a little bit, it has a little yeah. bit of flex, even though you might not feel the flex, it flexes. And then when you do dynamic movement, it is vibrating underneath you. Mm -hmm. 
to give you sensory stimuli. Whereas if we look at marble, ceramic, concrete, things like that, tile is they are, they do not resonate in the same way that the body does. So if you are walking on concrete, you are striking the concrete surface and it's not vibrating at all. It's not giving mm -hmm. all of that vibration and impact is essentially back reverberating into your body. So you are getting this uptick of stress to your system. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do it progressively, kind of like how you had said, and you slowly increase the amount of exposure to a stress, you would be able to eventually push your threshold higher. And I did very similar is that I lived in New York for 20 years and which was a lot of walking around Manhattan, mm -hmm. just a day to day on average, I would easily do 20,000 plus steps a day. Yeah. And I would wear most often indoor Vibram five finger shoes because they were, the outdoor ones were too, too much shoe. So I wanted mm -hmm. an indoor, like a yoga shoe that I would wear outside yeah. because it was more minimal to what I wanted. And when I first started, I would start to feel my feet. Let's say if I started doing that same design, I'd be like, oh, that's what plantar fasciitis is. <laughs> like, okay. And what I then had to do, which is what is the answer to the question, what I advise people to do is remember that stress ultimately makes your body or your tissue stronger. Mm -hmm. But it is stress, a dose of stress, followed by a period of recovery followed at a sufficient time period, a reintroduction of the same dose of stress, followed by another period of recovery and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I would walk my day-to-day -day Monday in the Vibrams, in the indoor Vibram shoes. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, I would go into a more structured shoe. And then come Thursday, I would do the same distance that I had walked on Monday. And then I start doing that. And as I adapt, I eventually start to shorten the recovery period. So I would do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, right? And I would have it be one day in between. And then eventually I can start to do every day. And that was a matter of uh, this adaptation that you were referencing and essentially pushing what's called a tissue stress threshold higher almost like anaerobic training for anyone who has done that is when you do anaerobic training, you push your max heart rate or when you're on the edge of switching to anaerobic. And as soon as you're there, you kind of tease the edge and then you back off and then you tease the edge and then you back off. And eventually you can start to push your anaerobic threshold higher and higher to a higher max percent heart rate. Yeah. Same thing as the way that I look at it. Um, the, adaptation protocol that I just went over is very similar to the protocol that I give a patient after they've fractured their foot and I'm transitioning them back to their normal level of stress or back to sport or someone who had plantar fasciitis and now I'm transferring them back to sport. It's a balance of dose of stress with recovery and that recovery is not doing the stress. So it would be not walking in minimal shoes as an example, mm -hmm. but it could also be releasing your feet. Like we'd mentioned in the beginning, right? Yeah. Doing something to actually um, recover that tissue. Do you do red light therapy? Do you want to do um, a cold plunge? Do you want to use CBD oil? Like, I don't know what, whatever you want to do, you can yeah. pick something, right? And then the other layer that I would add to that is instead of just saying that, well, I'm going to make my feet stronger by walking, I'm going to make my feet stronger so I can walk further in minimal shoes by just walking in minimal shoes, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the activity can't be just the training mechanism, mm -hmm. right? So I would want to incorporate short foot that we referenced in part one yeah. and foot strengthening, foot sensory, use the Naboso products, use vibration platforms, um, do balance training, do other intrinsic exercises that you know, make sure that your core is strong, your glutes are strong. So I'm, I'm adding that into this protocol at the exact same time. Yeah. Um, so 
you just kind of opened the door to this question. So I'm going to, I'm going to dive in while I can. So you just mentioned the utilization of vibration platforms. And uh, I know a facility that I used to work at had a vibration platform and, and I loved it, but I want to just talk about the importance of getting sensory information into the foot and what that can do for not only proprioception, uh, balance, but also your ability to, um, you know, get more force production, your ability to uh, reduce pain, right? There's so many things that that foot can do from a sensory standpoint. So can you talk a little bit about the mechanism of kind of that sensory input coming in and how the body responds to it? And then, um, well, we'll probably just reiterate the same things that we've already talked about with regards to how we can get that sensory input in with things like the lacrosse ball and the vibration platforms and those types of things. But yeah, uh, sensory input, go. Yeah, absolutely. So I look at the foot as a sensory gateway into the nervous system, into the brain, if you want to call it. And the reason that the foot is a sensory gateway is because the skin in the bottom of the foot is really the only contact point between the body and the ground. It, it's very unique in the experience that it has compared to say the hairy skin of my thigh mm -hmm. or um, my upper arm, right? It, it, it is experiencing unique stimuli that is necessary and characteristic of posture, standing upright in gravity and then bipedalism that we referenced also in part one. Mm -hmm. That information, our ability to read the ground, anticipate the ground, react to the ground, autocorrect to the ground is really how we shape every step that we take. So I will often say that if we take 10,000 steps in a day, not all 10,000 steps are the same. <clears throat> Probably no steps are the same. And our ability to sense the ground and get that information is necessary to control. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no worries. I'll cut it out. It's fine. <laughs> <clears throat> it's dry in Arizona. Yes. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's all right. You're still getting used to it, I guess, right? Like, you know, yeah. Why now? Yeah. Okay. And I totally remember where my mind was. Okay. So our ability to sense the ground and interact with the ground is necessary for controlling movement. Now the skin in the bottom of the feet is called glabrous skin. So it's special skin and it has special nerves, nerve endings that are actually called mechanoceptors, which is a little bit different than proprioceptors or proprioception that a lot of people will throw in when, when you're doing balance training or you're using a wobble board or something like that, people lump that into proprioceptive training, which it is, but there's another layer to neuromuscular somatosensory control. Really, mm -hmm. this is somatosensory control. Mechanoception through the skin and the nerves in the bottom of the feet plays a slightly different role. They're actually faster nerves than your proprioceptor. So from a timing perspective, it's really important. We also use them in a very subtle way to control what's called quiet stance. So our ability to stand in one place and control the sway of our center of gravity, that's quiet stance. Mm -hmm. That's a mechanoceptive responsibility. Now these different mechanoceptors, there's four main stimuli that they respond to. Texture, or two-point discrimination is one. This is really the premise behind Naboso and my product line, which is a textured product line for foot awareness and foot activation. Mm -hmm. uh, Braille is another example of that stimuli, that pattern. It's two-point discrimination is really what it is. The second one is pressure and skin stretch. So second and third and skin stretch. So when you are on your feet, obviously you feel a pressure. So imagine if you were on a surface that was uneven or has a texture or this two-point discrimination, you feel the different 
pressure points of the two point, right? So now we're kind of getting this relationship. Mm -hmm. And then if you're moving dynamically on that rough texture, you get skin stretch because mm -hmm. the skin, the bottom of the foot skin is adhered to the foot differently than the skin on the top of the foot. Yeah. Same thing with the hand, right? The skin on the bottom of the hand or the palm of the hand, it's like it's stuck. You can't really lift it off. Whereas the top of the hand, you can lift the skin. Yeah. Very unique fascially and neurologically why that skin is different. Okay. So that's the yeah. skin element. And then the last two is vibration, but it's low frequency vibration and high frequency vibration. So you're really looking at texture slash two point discrimination, skin stretch, pressure, and vibration. Mm -hmm. those four stimuli now 70 percent of the nerves in the bottom of the feet are sensitive to vibration which means you could say the most important stimuli coming into your feet is vibration mm -hmm. and we experience vibration every time our foot strikes the ground it's what ground reaction forces are Mm -hmm. So our ability, it goes back to our ability to be able to feel the ground, to react to the ground, to autocorrect to the ground is really that intermingled perception of vibration, pressure, skin stretch, texture, all at the same time to feed the somatosensory system to control your movement. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's awesome. So... So when we're looking then at the utilization of something like a vibration platform, that's just an additional way to really, I guess, activate, get a whole bunch of sensory input really quickly into the foot and then therefore into the entire nervous system all the way up to the brain, awaken the brain, connect. I know we used that a lot in kind of preparation. Like we would basically have the young athletes that we were working with stand on it for a little bit. Uh, they might do some squats on it, something like that, but we would act like we'd actually have them do some sort of movement on that vibration platform. They loved it because they just turn it all the way up and did right. So they didn't necessarily use it the way we want it, but they just, they got vibration into the system, which is really what we wanted. Um, but I love that you mentioned the ground reaction force. So just, your foot coming in contact with the ground and like linking back to what you're talking about with the different surfaces have different vibration, mm -hmm. right? So concrete versus hardwood floor versus turf versus all those different things. So what are some of the best ways to get more vibration if we don't have a platform in our house? Uh, so what I would say is if you're, if you're looking specifically at vibration as one don't discredit the other ones as well right? yeah. so just just think of it as these are going to be the input stimuli to wake up the foot to access the nervous system to make me move better mm -hmm. let's say that i like it in the movement prep part of a section because yeah. you are just turning all of the light switches on more effectively versus waiting for the nervous system to kind of do it itself through movement. You're, you're just being more efficient or intelligent or specific in the program design. Mm -hmm. Now, vibration, as you had said, all of the stimuli, let me go back a second. All of the stimuli is actually considered noise. So the noise, you may want to turn the volume up on the noise so that you can accelerate this activation period. That's the way that you referenced it. Mm -hmm. Or you may need to turn up the noise in someone who has impaired sensitivity to it. Or you may need to turn the noise up on someone who has some sort of interface that is canceling this out. Mm. Shoes would be a good example, Yeah. right? So if I am trying to get more vibration, which is our Richter scale of how hard we're striking the ground and we use it to trigger our loading response and we use it to maintain dynamic balance is I could either go on a vibration platform, which is turning the noise up. Mm -hmm. I could take the cushion out of my shoes and be in 
zero cushioned shoes like Vivo Barefoot, which is taking away the barrier, yeah. right? Or maybe I go barefoot, right? Because now I have no barrier. And then I go onto a hardwood floor that I know vibrates, or I go into the grass or the park. So I'm on earth, which obviously vibrates because it's natural. You're looking at it from that way. Now, if vibration is not accessible, do you want to access the other ones? Do you want to do more pressure? That would be releasing the bottom of the feet. Mm -hmm. And there's research that shows five minutes of trigger point release on the bottom of the foot shows an immediate increase in balance. So you could do five minute trigger point release, boom, activating the nervous system, improve balance. Do you want to use any of the Nervoso products? Do you want to be on a mat that stimulates one of the nerves through two point discrimination? Mm -hmm. That would be a great way to do it as well. Do I want to be on like a pebble path, right? I'm trying to get pressure from another way. Um, some of the taping, so you could put rock tape on the bottom of the foot, and then that's stimulating skin stretch and the receptors. So that's that's the way that I would start to do it, mm-hmm. is remember the stimuli it's sensitive to, and then how can you bring in the different stimuli? The more stimuli that you bring in, the better the movement output. Yeah. So we actually work with, at Nabosa, we work with uh, power plate, one of the vibration platforms, yep. and they combine our two point discrimination mat on their vibration platform. So now you're accessing two. Nice. Yeah. 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 We had a, it was a power plate that we had at the, at the facility itself. Um, this is many years ago, but yeah. So, uh, another question and then, and then we'll kind of move on from this, but is there an, if we're looking at and I'm asking this because I'm building a new studio when we're looking at the floor specifically, is there an optimal, like if you had to choose just one type of flooring to put down, what would it be? Um, I would do probably a suspended wood floor that has Nibosa mats on the side <laughs> and some turf added on an area and then maybe some like pebbles that people can walk across like a rock path i mean then then you're hitting all of it mm-hmm. and the reason why i had said suspended which is important for people to think about is that a lot of the structure that you're building on is very thick solid yeah concrete yeah facilities that don't know that are putting wood on concrete which is what you're experiencing at home is you have tile on concrete essentially you're like ceramic on on concrete we have marble floors and it's the same thing as soon as we moved here from new york city we had hardwood floors because buildings are older in new york so you kind of get actually better residential flooring in old homes mm-hmm. or old buildings you it, it's going to transfer sound right yeah. so now you're going to hear your neighbors more sound might transfer through the building or the apartments and the homes because of those materials which is actually a sign to tell you that it's good yeah <laughs> but if you don't want the sound you're then actually taking all the vibration and you're going to get a harder experience to yourself so just be very mindful of material right on concrete Mm-hmm. is very stressful to the body, even though you have wood directly interfaced. Tile, very thick tile that is in most commercial gyms. The reason that it is as thick as it is, is because it's usually placed on concrete. Yeah, right? And it's trying to damp the lack of vibration from the concrete, but then it's not giving you any uh, potential energy either. Yeah. So it, it becomes a little... Uh, inefficient and then one last surface that I want to add in because I get asked it all the time is sand Mm. so like beach or there was a training facility in New York City that actually had sand training they would have indoor volleyball and then they would have classes on sand and people it was like all the rage now sand training or if you go to the beach sand training is is or can be very hard on the body hard on the feet 
because from an energy transfer perspective, if you're running and you hit the sand, all of your potential energy just went yeah. with the sand, right? It just left the body, it left the ground. So you're yeah. not getting anything back, which is why some people will say train on sand because you increase your, your strength and endurance because it's harder. Yeah. And it's harder because you're not working with the ground. I always encourage people to err on the side of caution of things like that because that's where people can get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's like training on something like that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's not the only thing that you want to be doing. Being able to then, because if you're, we're talking about the transfer of force, yes, I can create a whole bunch, but can I then transfer that all the way up? Can I utilize all that force and train the fascia in that way? Right. And then we're talking about elasticity and having all that. So if you're going to do sand training, great, but then also have them be on turf or on grass or something like that, where, or a track, depending on what they're doing, but being able to then train on that. So it's good because you mentioned two of the surfaces that I'm going to have anyways. I don't have the ability to do a suspended floor because it's in a, a basement and there's not enough headroom to then put a suspended floor in. So um, like I'm doing a, a bamboo underlay and mm -hmm. then I... And so it's about uh, four mils or so underlay of bamboo, and then it's um, turf on top. And then I actually have a rock mat, like a travel rock mat that I bring when I go on vacation or if I go traveling overseas. So I have that in there as well. So that'll be my, my proprioceptive mat and then all the movement and everything else that'll do will be on turf. So mm -hmm. good. I'm on the right track. I love it. You need to get a Nubosa mat too. I will. I will have to. I will have to get a Nubosa mat as well. Yes. For sure. We, we just got a Canadian distributor, so it's easier now. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we'll talk, chat about that after. At, yeah. the, uh, at the end, you can tell all my listeners, half of which I guess are in Canada, half are in the States, where they can get the, the Nibosa mat. All right. So let's get into a little bit about pain and, and pain reduction, because I know I've experienced this, and I'm sure uh, many, many, many of the clients who you have worked with have experienced this, but just how powerful and and like for me it's specific to uh back pain so i've had like i've split my si joint before so i had a lot of motion on one side of my si joint because the other side no hip internal rotation long story but uh, so i had a lot of issues with that and so every now and then when i do something it gets very stiff it gets out of place and i gotta go get it kind of dealt with do some exercises to kind of restabilize, relax some of the piriformis and then, and then move on from there. But I have found rolling with a lacrosse ball and walk, walking on a rock mat and just barefoot movement in general has been just tremendous in helping me manage that pain. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, because we're on the topic of sensory input, how, just doing something as simple as rolling the bottom of your foot or walking on a rock mat can influence something so far up the kinetic chain that most people are like, well, I'm doing something. Why are you doing something on my foot? It has nothing to do with my back right now. So can you talk about just the relationship between those? Yes, that's a great demonstration of the fascial connections between the foot and the rest of the body. And those fascial connections start with the foot to core, which is something that I reference a lot. This is how the long flexors and your intrinsic muscles because of the posterior tibialis insert into your adductors and your pelvic floor and your diaphragm. And it creates this internal skeletal postural structure. Mm -hmm. um, that is a very important one. Uh, in the case of what, what you were referencing is if our feet fascially connect to our pelvic floor and your pelvic floor myofascially connects to your deep hip rotators, that's how you can start to say, oh, if I have a torn hip labrum or I lost centration of my hip or I have an overactive piriformis or something like that, mm -hmm. that you can start to get that cross influence. Now there's other fascial lines in the feet where we of course have our superficial back one that probably everyone is familiar with, plantar fascia, Achilles tendon, calves, hamstrings, erector spinae, boom, boom, all the way up. So that one gets structures higher up. Mm -hmm. And then you have your spiral line, which is influenced to the first ray that we referenced in part one. That is a really powerful fascia line as it relates 
first ray big toe. So it's really the big toe. And then it comes up the leg into, new, into your obliques, around your rhomboids and into your serratus anterior. Mm -hmm. So that can connect scap stability with first MPJ dorsiflexion. That, that broad attachment is yeah. a powerful one. And then the last one that I focus a lot on is the lateral line, which is going to be thinking of IT band and all the structures for that, where we have runners or athletes that are doing or individuals that are doing single leg dominant sports. Running is probably the best example because the entire pattern is essentially a single leg squat. You're yeah. landing on a single leg every time which requires very rapid IT band stabilization or tension mm -hmm. that you want to have from a timing perspective to be anticipatory versus reactive. Yeah. And oftentimes reactive movements overshoot, like you over stiffen or you over contract. And that's where I see a lot of itis is happening is because of a reactive response to a movement pattern versus an anticipatory response. So for all of those conditions or all of those fascial connections, I look at the foot or I incorporate mm -hmm. a foot release. And when I start demonstrating those, oftentimes people who might be taking my workshop and saying like, why is, how is a podiatrist talking about coccidinia, which is tailbone pain or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't, yeah. A lot of people don't understand that you know, as Perry, cause you know, you know, Dr. Perry, like where it is, it ain't like, right. Like they don't understand that I've got back pain. I'm going to look at the foot because, and then you start listing everything that you just listed. And then they're starting to like, well, for them, it'd probably be way too much for them go way over their head, but understanding that everything's interconnected and that just cause you've got pain there doesn't mean that that's the only thing treating that area is the only thing that's going to help with that pain or address the cause of the pain right? Like what's actually going on. So I love that. And uh, so there's one thing, the one final thing that I want to chat about before we kind of wrap up a little bit. And it's, it's, you've mentioned multiple times the um, doing some barefoot training. So specifically running classes or, or fitness um, um, sessions with people barefoot. And you've talked about that. And I'm just wondering what the difference is between what, like what a session would look like with regards to that versus a regular training session that somebody might do in the gym. And then as well, you've mentioned multiple times the foot to core training. So if you can just expand on that just a little bit. Yeah, the foot to core is actually going to go into how the barefoot training that I, I teach is so. different. Okay. Perfect. Uh, but what also differentiates from the barefoot classes that I do is that I do most of the exercises on a single leg. So mm -hmm. I like unilateral training, partly because of the functional transfer. And the functional transfer that I look at is usually gait. So the walking gait cycle, what was really important for us to achieve a optimal bipedal pattern is our ability to stand on one leg. Mm -hmm. so just evolutionarily that if we were not able to stand on one leg, we could not take a long stride. So those also become deeply interconnected. Also from just an exercise perspective, if you're looking at glute activation, if I do a single leg squat, I get higher glute activation compared to a bilateral squat. Yeah. Right. So, or a double leg squat. So there, there's a couple mechanisms of functionality and then you get more bang for your buck. So that reality of it. Yeah. So now when I teach a barefoot class, barefoot balance training class, but just call it if it was any type of exercise that was also done bilateral is done, done barefoot to access the nerves in the bottom of the feet. Very important to how the brain shapes or paints the picture of movement. So that's the step one, no shoes. Okay, what else is that I'm incorporating foot activation in coordination with core activation. That's the foot to core. Now, why foot to core is that gravity is the other stimuli that I'm always thinking about. So gravity, mm. gravity is stimulating your nervous system, but it's ultimately what controls your movement. So if we think from a stability perspective where your body's 
center of stability is, it's going to be your center of gravity, mm -hmm. which is your core, but is really the lower part of your core, L5S1 between your ASIS. It's actually in front of your body, outside of your body. So this just call it the core, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at your center of gravity and then functionally and from a stabilization perspective, I want the center of gravity to connect to your contact point with the ground. Obviously that's the foot, yeah. hence the foot to core. So your center of gravity has to be in communication with or in harmony with the contact point with the ground. Foot to core. And they're fascially connected via the deep front line. So every time I cue toes down, which is short foot, I coordinate that with a lift of the pelvic floor. And because your pelvic floor connects to your diaphragm, I'm also cueing a breathing pattern and I cue an exhale. Mm -hmm. So if we were doing a squat, the inhale, we would inhale when we go down anyway. And then we exhale when we come out of a squat, yeah. right? But instead of just guiding it by breath and core engagement, I need the foot to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So if we're going down in a squat, inhaling, before you push out of the squat, I want you to push your toes down, which means short foot, feel that connect to your pelvic floor. You should actually feel your levator ani lift as soon as you push your toes down. And then you're finding the connection and then you're exhaling while heightening that connection. Mm -hmm. and, and then that's carried through every single exercise that I incorporate. Yeah. So I call it um, barefoot training with intention or barefoot training with a purpose Yeah. or barefoot training off the foundation of breath and pelvic floor I'm sure I could keep coming up with other <laughs> <laughs> names for it yeah. also, but it really is the fact that if your feet are not talking to your core, it, it doesn't matter if you have strong feet, like yeah. strong feet means that your strong feet are connected to a strong core. They can't be strong in isolation. They have to be an in integration yeah. and the driver of that integrated stabilization of the feet to core is really sensory. It is mm -hmm. the sensory input from the bottom of the foot. Yeah. So it's not as simple as, you know, some people may make it out to be, even though it's a good first step to just simply take your shoes off and train barefoot, right? It's becoming more aware and creating that connection, as you were saying, between the foot and the position of the foot, and then also core activation. And I love that you mentioned unilateral training, because I'm a big fan of unilateral training as well. And so making sure that they, people understand that connection with creating short foot, creating stability in that foot, feeling it, having the brain actually, okay, perceive it, sense it, and then utilize that with the breath, as you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, to further emphasize this, the complexity behind barefoot training or this purpose is our barefoot training specialist certification, which is a three-part certification. Each part is 14 hours. Mm -hmm. And my YouTube channel, which is focused on barefoot science and barefoot training, I have over 150 videos. So yeah. if it was just that simple <laughs> to just take your shoes off, I would have nothing else to talk about and yeah. then say, well, that's it. So it's it, it adds to really how you had started part one with mm -hmm. the quote around that art and complexity of the foot is the way that I want people to also respect the sensory side of the foot or this barefoot science principle because mm -hmm. barefoot science is understanding the nervous system, it's understanding fascia, it's understanding surfaces, it's understanding footwear, recovery, breath, right? It's so much more that you have to understand to truly, truly understand the science and art of barefoot training. Yeah. And, you know, we have accredited barefoot training facilities where you can actually get kind of like the EBFA stamp, but mm. you have to demonstrate just because you train without shoes does not mean that you meet our requirements or our belief about what barefoot training is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love it. All right. I would like to do a little bit of a lightning round. It's okay. three questions. 
uh, and it's just first things that pop into your mind. Um, don't overthink it. Some people try to add like three or four to it, like four or five to it. That's fine. As many as you would like. So first question is, uh, what are the top three books that you've read on any topic? Ooh, uh, Smart Moves by Carla Hanford. Awesome book about the brain and movement. Second one is When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Matei. That is awesome. That's a biopsychosocial focused book. And then Waking the Tiger by Dr. Peter Levine, which is about the autonomic nervous system. Awesome. It's, it's so interesting. Sometimes when I have people on and they say they're three books, I'm like, oh, I've read two of those three. I haven't read any of those. Oh, really? I, got, I haven't read any of those. I got to get on that. One that I have to add a fourth, my book, which is Barefoot Strong. <laughs> Perfect. Total self plug in there. That's all right. Um, perfect. Uh, top three mentors along your journey so far. Oh, uh, Dr. Perry, for sure. He has influenced my work. Um, and then I would say now are these mentors that I've met? No, anybody who has influenced you along your journey to where you are now. Uh, oh, uh, Dr. Lois Laney, her, her work is really great. I'm going to do people I've met. So it keeps it a little bit more in the family. Um, she has restorative breathing mm -hmm. and she focused on, on the cranial nerves and how, uh, certain cranial nerves can get inhibited, which then throws off the autonomic nervous system. And then they kind of get stuck in this fight or flight. It's great from higher level movement imbalances and people with movement pain. So it's mm. kind of down that path. Yeah. That I would go. And then the third would be James Earls out of the UK. He wrote the book Born to Walk. And he is a former rolfer. He used to teach for Thomas Myers. And now mm -hmm. he has his own programming around foot and gait. Okay. And he's just a great person all around. Awesome. And uh, the final question is, if you were to kind of go back and not change anything, but just give 20-year-old Emily a piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, my advice would be to listen, listen to your gut and don't worry about the haters, haters are always gonna hate. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, yeah, if you're going point. to try to challenge dogma, yeah, you will get haters. And you're yeah. honestly, you're not, if you are a disruptor and you're challenging conformity, you are not talking loud enough until you have haters. Yeah. And then and you know what, you're on the right track. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right. So, I know you have a lot of stuff going on. I know you're involved in a lot of different things from education to speaking engagements, uh, your book, which you've already plugged, but I'll let, get you to plug it again. Um, so what products, projects are you currently working on that you would like to promote to the listeners? Yeah, so under EBFA, which is ebfaglobal.com, we have both live and online courses. We actually have a Canadian master instructor, Stuart, who is great. Uh, and you can link his education, his live courses off of ebfaglobal.com. And that will also link to our YouTube channel and our online schools. So just dive down that rabbit hole. My book, Barefoot Strong, that I mentioned, you can get that on Amazon. The website to learn just a little bit more is barefootstrong.com. The book is called Barefoot Strong. And then I'm writing another book, which is coming out early 2021 and it's called Sensory Sapiens. And it's looking at the internal, external sensory stimuli and how it shapes movement longevity. Awesome. Uh, and then Naboso is the sensory product line that I referenced. We have a Canadian distributor. We actually have distributors around the world. So whoever's listening, just go to naboso.com and it actually geolocates geo you to the appropriate distributors and sites. So you're buying 
inter-country. Yep. Um, so you can absolutely do that. And then my podiatry practice, where I do see patients virtually um, in other countries and around the US, uh, is my name. So dremilyspickle.com. Awesome. As I said, in so many different things. I love it. I love it. Um, I think we'll have to have you on again to talk all about your book, um, Sensory Sapiens, because one, I love the title. <laughs> and two, uh, I think that would um, expand a lot of on what we talked about today um, and getting more into kind of the movement piece of things, which I think would be awesome. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you've already mentioned a little bit about where people can um, get in contact with you, but um, Instagram, Facebook, email, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you if you, they did want to reach out? Yeah, so I'm on all the social platforms. Um, Instagram is probably the easiest, uh, and that is uh, DR Emily DPM or EBFA underscore barefoot education on the education side. Um, Facebook, I just Google the companies and they'll come up. And then LinkedIn as well. My email, I'll give you my, my general email, which is education at ebfafitness.com. And I invite people to contact me if they have questions about clients, case studies, content. Um, and I do some mentoring as well on the side in my free time. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. On your, on your free time. Where do you find that? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So for anybody listening, if you are interested in anything barefoot, barefoot training, um, if you want to be somebody who really expands their knowledge from what you learned probably in school or in your certification regarding the importance of the foot and barefoot training and the integration of everything, um, definitely look up anything and everything uh dr emily like youtube is a is a is a great place to go to find some stuff but if you want to dive deeper definitely attend one of those uh, ebfa courses for sure right now online but hopefully in the future live <laughs> again at some point uh thank you so much dr emily for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you thank you so much and thank you to everyone who tuned in State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be